Hey everybody, this is John Fusco, and you're listening to the No Film School Podcast. Well, it's come to this, the final stage, where dreams are either made or destroyed. It seems that many short films, even after they wrap a successful shoot, never end up seeing the light of day. And why is that? Because they dry up in the post-production process. And that's what we're going to talk about today on this episode, episode three of The First Short. If you missed episodes one and two, you should probably listen to them, but... Episode 1 covered pre-production uh, in terms of putting together a team and finding collaborators and finding locations and all that good stuff. And then episode 2, we talked about how to raise money for your short film. And uh, then we went into actually what it was like down on set in production. So when we last left off, me and my two producers were back in New York City and happy with the way the shoot went and ready to start the next stage. We weren't gonna let our short film just evaporate after it was in the can, right? Well, whether it's for lack of money, lack of inspiration, lack of enthusiasm, or just plain destitution at what your footage has revealed, the sad truth is that many directors decide to leave their precious projects on the cutting room floor. All that time and effort wasted for nothing. I really hate to see this happen, Especially if it's because a director thinks that the project or the footage, quote-unquote, isn't good enough. And that's because the edit room is a magical place where anything is possible. Especially if you throw away any preconceived notions you may have before you enter. If your 42 minute short is way too long and the jokes just aren't landing, well then don't get upset. There's more than enough footage there for you to take it and turn it into something else. Like, maybe a fantastic two and a half minute drama could emerge if you shape it right. That'll never happen, though, if you get too discouraged or aren't open to drastic changes from the beginning. The editing process for me was long and trying, for sure, but it was so rewarding because I just decided to see where the edit took me. Quote, unquote, see where the edit took me. And that's a phrase that I'm sure you guys hear a lot, and it means absolutely nothing. So let me attempt to define it here briefly because it's what we're going to talk about a lot in this episode. So, in the edit, see where the edit takes you by looking for the most truthful parts of your film, the most important moments in driving your plot forward, the two or three themes that you most want the audience to grasp, and pull all editing efforts into highlighting those scenes, those actions, that dialogue. You can't be afraid to cut anything in order to find the real emotion of the film. Essentially what I found is that once you have some sort of picture edit together, you have entered into your next round of screenwriting. Only this time it's actually a lot easier because you can actually see what lines or moments are causing your film to stagger. What I wanted more than anything for my own short film was that that baby would move. The momentum needed to drive throughout the whole thing. I didn't want the audience to be bored or have the urge to look at their phone or get ahead of the plot for one single millisecond. In that regard, as I edited the film down, it became more and more apparent what had to go. My first cut was 26 minutes, full of this drawn-out tension that, in truth, wasn't very intense. 
ridiculous jokes, and bits that were more suited for maybe experimental theater. Not so much a short. Like, you know, for instance, a woman slapping a bloody pig's head with a spatula and saying, I'm going to cook this pig. (laughs) Which I still love, but it's gone. Or an antagonist watching a ghost person eat a piece of fruit and yell, Give me that apple. I love those bits, but, you know, they had to go to establish the pacing and the momentum of the film. From 26 minutes, we went down to 20 minutes, from 20 to 17, and from 17 to a neat and tidy 15. How, you might ask? Well, let's get into it. When I got back to New York after shooting the film, I was completely exhausted. But more than tired, it took a couple of weeks to stop my brain from constantly thinking something was needing to be taken care of. And it wasn't that I got depressed, as many creators say they do when they're finished with a project. It's just that I couldn't slow my mind down. And it's hard adjusting back to your normal life. But it needs to be done. For that reason, take a few weeks yourself before you start with post-production after you wrap your film. You know, try to remember what it feels like to be a normal human being and not an immovable creative force because you can always get back to that if anything you'll be even more pumped to get into editing once you're ready so over the past couple episodes i've offered up some hard and fast rules here is another one in terms of post-production you can either have it go two ways slow and cheap or fast and expensive both are viable in their own right but i was out of money and uh for that reason i was forced to go with slow and cheap which i might add isn't even as cheap as you'd like to think it is now if you think way back to last episode you might remember how i also said i would be okay with throwing in some of my own money into my kickstarter campaign if it didn't end up reaching its goal so i could keep all the funds well i'm glad it didn't happen that way because uh by the time production was done i was several thousand dollars over budget i needed to find some money and fast otherwise My editor wouldn't be happy, and uh, I wouldn't even know where to start with hiring a a full post-production team. So the only thing to do when you find yourself in this kind of situation is get yourself back into pre-production mode. And if you've had a few weeks to do nothing but stew over how you're going to get some extra money, some ideas are bound to come about, but it all comes back to asking, unfortunately. But it's a lot easier this time through. So I went back to the pool of people who may have connections that I could possibly reach out to for more money, and it was easier because I had shot the film, and I was happy with the footage, and I was confident with the way that it went, and I had a story to tell any prospective backers. The more confident you become in your ask, the more likely it is to yield a result. I was brimming off the success of the shoot and was still on a high from actually being down there on set and going through this experience with people and could talk for days about it, as you may be able to tell. I'm not going to get into the specifics of who I found or what the deal was or how much money I got, but if you put yourself out there for opportunities, they may come your way. If you don't, they definitely won't. I was lucky enough to find a friend who hooked me up with one of his co-workers that was interested in film, and because of that, I was able to give my post-production team not exactly what they deserved in compensation for their work, but at least something close. Now, I knew who my editor was going to be from the very beginning, and whether he liked it or not, he was attached to the project from the get-go. 
What is the editor-director relationship like? Well, you spend about two to three days a week together for two or more hours a session for nine months trying to craft something together that you both care really passionately about. One of you for sure more than the other. For that period of your life, it becomes one of the most important relationships in your life. You're lucky if you have a friend who also happens to be a great editor because then you can enjoy spending those hours together. And just like any other couple, Mm. I would say, I guess <laughs> you uh, occasionally will have your fights and uh, bouts for creative control, but it becomes even more important to take a minute and really examine where they're coming from. In fact, a great editor will challenge his director to do exactly that. So now I'd like to introduce my editor, Tom Lay, to the program. Hello. Nice to meet you, everybody. Digital friends. What's going on? How about, uh, why don't you, why don't you tell us a little bit what you do for your, your day job, Tom? I mean, I'm a editor. I edit things. I'm a freelancer, I guess. My day job. I don't know. I edit a bunch of stuff. Um, yeah, that's it, man. (laughs) What else is there to say? So I guess, uh, my first question for you, Tom, uh, you just heard that stuff that I said about like a director editor relationship and, yeah, that's that's the thing that's funny is, uh, you know, I I can sense that, I think I sense that in in every director editor relationship that I have, but I think um, from an editor's point of view, you juggle so many of these, <laughs> so it feels, it's like I have like you know dozens of girlfriends and you're yeah. one of them. <laughs> it is obviously it's really important, um, and me and John have known each other for a really long time. Um, since freshman year in college. Yeah. Does that make it any easier? I don't know. I don't think so. I think people come with their own sort of like ideas of what they want to do in the collaborative process. And honestly, like people sort of approach it in different ways. And I don't think it necessarily is a reflection of, of, you know, their personality or their friendship as much as what they think that relationship is supposed to be. And every film is different, but, um, you know, everybody sort of learns how this relationship for this particular film is going to work. I mean, even with, um, if I worked, if we worked together on another film, I'm sure the relationship would probably be really different. You know what I mean? Um, There's totally different mechanics and stuff going on with. Is there like an ideal relationship then, or is it just something that you kind of like find a balance? It depends. It depends on what your goals are. So I think like if you want to make the absolute best movie, meaning like you want the movie to do something really, really specific, really, really well, um, maybe like the relationship isn't so important. I don't know. It's it's sort of hard to like, but if you want to have a really personal relationship with that person and like be able to sort of continue like collaborating in the future, like obviously you would treat them differently. Many people like also say that the best directors are editors. And Mm -hmm. while there definitely may be some truth to that, um, I don't really think it necessarily means that like the best editors are directors. Like it doesn't Mm -hmm. go both ways. Mm -hmm. Um, Now you told me that uh, I should take a crack at the first cut. Like, yeah, pretty much almost off the bat. Yeah. This was in like December. We wrapped in November. Yeah. Um, 
I have a pretty basic knowledge uh, of Premiere. It's mm. like it's it was workable at the yeah. time. Um, but you said you'd give me some tips and tricks. Um, yeah. So I was really happy to just kind of like try it just like maybe for the future for my own edification. Like mm-hmm. maybe I could edit my own yeah. shit. Um, but I was wondering just like for you, mm-hmm. why was it important that I edit the first cut was, of the film? I, I was like probably just feeling that way at that time. I want, it was just something I wanted to try out, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, but it really paid off in terms of for the editor going in. And I think any editor can definitely relate to this is um, you either sit with the director and like go through literally all the takes and are like, do you like this one? Do you like this one? And the thing about um, just about anybody when they come into the editing room is that they don't realize um, that the editor like doesn't know what they're looking for. Like, I don't know what you're looking for. I don't know if like, I'm showing you these things and they're like, ah, I don't like that. I'm like, oh, why don't you like it? Or like, you know, what is it that you don't like about it? And sometimes it's like, oh, it's too corny or like they are. And we get like, obviously, we get very, very specific about it. Um, it's probably hard to remember what we would be talking about, you know, as an example. But um, a lot of times it's just like something so specific that you slowly when you're when you're working with a director on a new film, you're you're slowly sort of trying to understand like what their tastes are, and what they want out of the film. Um, so when when the director gets a crack at the first cut, um, and especially because you were formerly an actor and like you know what you want out of the performances, whenever I work with actor directors, um, they'll tell me like, okay, I don't. Like, a lot of times I'll pick a performance, they'll be like, oh, that performance is bad. I can tell that they're um, right there. They'll, like, point it out. They'll be like, right there. She's... Um, Not truthful or whatever. Yeah, or, like, she's uh, she's breaking. That's yeah. what they'll say. Okay. Oh, she broke right there. Huh. Something like that. Um, so, you know, it's funny, like, um, yeah, that was a long time ago. But for me, I can definitely still feel how that first cut, you know, like, most of the takes themselves in terms of the dialogue come from that first pass that you did, which would be an assembly that we did together. But um, in reality, if I'm thinking back, the real reason that I actually wanted to do this, and in this in this respect, it was actually unsuccessful, Okay, was that um, I think towards the end of the process, a lot of times uh, people, I can really sense that people start to get kind of nervous about Sometimes I see directors sort of relinquishing control when I feel like they shouldn't be. We'll work on a scene and I'll come up with a solution. But I guess there's times when you can tell that someone's not entirely satisfied, but they've sort of like reasoned with themselves enough to just. So I, I guess I wanted I wanted you to because I, I know like how it can feel at that near the end of the cut of especially Um where director starts to feel like kind of frustrated that it's so far out of their control. Um, but I think the the film ended up being so complicated, you know what I mean? That it, it, it in either sense, like you obviously were just like, I don't want to touch this thing because I'll ruin it. You know what I mean? But at the same time, like, um, you know, who knows if this is from your experience of cutting podcasts or of your experience of just literally um, manipulating it just for that first cut. But 
your suggestions a lot of times were very specific of being like, oh, let's try and cut this, let's try and trim this, and let's try and do this. And uh, a lot of times, like, we were, because I think, like, with this particular film, a lot of times I got really satisfied with cut. A lot of times you got really satisfied with cut. But usually, you know, we would end up seeing the other person's. Um, and it's because it's such an unusual film, a lot of times it's actually really difficult to verbalize what we were going for. But then once we actually tried it out, you know, there was something about it. Oh, like I see what it's doing now. Yeah, I yeah. think that like a lot of those conversations we would actually even have not necessarily together. Like we <laughs> would, you know, call each other yeah. on the phone and just like talk for maybe an hour and just yeah. kind of like try and get each other to see it was never mm. a struggle to get like a shared perspective mm. it was just like a uh it took work yeah i know? think i think it like verbally it was definitely a struggle at times like it's just like honestly like i think a lot of the things that you're trying to do actually are very difficult to put into words um people will see the film and they'll be like oh wow that was so cool in this specific way but they'll never know that it could have been something completely yeah, different. Yeah. Um, one of the first things we cut was this insanely comedic moment where, like, the first character is, like, calling out for his mom and he's, like, popping out behind a door. <laughs> and that was, like, the first thing that you were like, I think we should get rid of that, actually. Yeah. And I was like, really? Because that's something that is sort of like a tonal motif right. throughout the film that's, like, it's weirdly comic. And somewhere along the line, like, you sort of kept building up this confidence that you actually wanted to get rid of that throughout the whole film. It just didn't feel right as a comedy. It felt yeah. like, I think, like, as a writer, I have this uh, instinct to go to joke rather than actually, like, fully, like, sink myself into that emotional mm-hmm. depth. Yeah. Um, so I think, like, as we were editing the film, places where I could identify that or I could identify me like kind of trying to gloss over a, maybe a deeper theme by throwing some comedy into it mm-hmm. uh, were easy to like spot and cut. Yeah. I mean, that's why they call it comic relief, right? I yeah. Mean, it's difficult to, I guess it's hard to tell. Like it was only once we really pared it all down that we saw how well the film worked without those sorts of elements. Um, I think it's like, it's, it's almost uh Another horror rule is like, you know, you use comedy to relief, like it's com- yeah. comedic relief. Yeah. You you use it to break the tension. So within the context of a short film mm-hmm. um, and especially one that sort of we wanted to make feel tense, it was important yeah. to still have it, but it just forced us to identify which moments were going to be comed- comedic to make those moments like very particular. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was something that we definitely sort of like debated a lot in the very beginning because I was like, dude, but you made, you wrote all of these things. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah, right. like, that's the whole point of the movie is that it's ridiculous and yeah. stupid. And uh, but, you were, but you were like, no, it doesn't have to be that stupid. And I was like, what? Um, so, yeah, and it's, it's much more intense now. It's a much, very, very intense, like very actually intense film and not just uh, intense in a ridiculous way. Right. So can we go back to just like this whole thing about me editing the first cut? Yeah. What did you do in Premiere to like help set me up essentially? Because you you would come over and kind of just like watch over my shoulder and stuff. Was there anything you did like organization wise that would make it easier for a director who's trying to use Premiere for like the first time or like make a first <laughs> so cut? Are, are you actually asking like the technical 
Yeah, just it's, like buckets, basically. Like this is really funny. Yeah. Um, because there's a lot of people out there who are premier, you know, geeks or whatever that'll really shit on me. But um, <laughs> I merge clips. I merge clips every single narrative thing that I do. And uh, I've asked all the sound guys that I work on because there's all this shit on Creative Cow and stuff um, where people are like, don't ever merge the clips. When it goes to sound, like, they'll kill you. They'll have a really hard time and you'll just be an idiot. But so it, it's just syncing the clips. Um, merging clips is something that I really like to do in, in narrative because uh, when you match frame, when you're working on a, on a take, you can just match frame and it'll go straight into the source window. Um, and I think I probably taught you how to do that. Um, it was, we just laid it out scene by scene. Everything was nicely slated, you know, uh, scene one, scene two, scene three, scene four. And, uh, like everything, I synced everything up, laid them each scene for me as a sequence. And I taught you the way that I work, which is actually derived from Avid, which is, um, in Avid, there's a source and record timeline and you pull out of the source timeline and you go into the record timeline. So I use two timelines in Premiere. And I, you know, have whatever scene I'm working on, I have that scene sequence, which is all synced up, and I just pull down from it. And that I, that is exactly what I showed you. And it's super easy in that sense. Um, yeah, I think once I set that up, it's kind of self-explanatory in terms of the cut that you did, which was just like trying to see, you were just like going through takes and picking the ones that you like. And a lot of the cuts actually are still in the film. The ones that, that feel... Um, there are a lot of them that feel really that are a lot more natural and a lot of times as an editor like you just have to a lot of times like you you think that like cuts are going to be corny or you're being too like sort of on the nose but sometimes you just have to like get through certain pieces of the film to like get to the ones that you really want so yeah I don't know. Basically, the way I was editing was by my own storyboards that I'd made. I was just laying them one next to the other on the timeline uh, as much as I envisioned it mm -hmm. in, in pre-production. But then it, it because of that, it didn't really feel much like a film mm -hmm. <laughs> at the end of the cut. Yeah. You know, it, it didn't feel much like anything. Yeah. Um, and more importantly, it didn't make me feel anything. <laughs> yeah, uh, you're just expecting too much at the beginning. That's what every first assembly is going to feel like. Um, and a huge part of it also that you realized was you had to have the music in there. And that mm -hmm. was the first thing that we did when we, um, I was like, when you were like, okay, I'm passing this off to you. Like, how do you start cutting? And I was like, you should send me right. all of that music that you've been talking about. And you gave me a bunch of fucking, what was it again? It's a bunch Ennio, of Ennio Morricone, which I think I'm going to start the episode off with. <laughs> Ennio Morricone and a fucking, uh, John, John Carpenter, John Carpenter. Yeah. yeah. You know, honestly, um, and this is not because the music is incredible that Brady made for us. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely amazing. But um a lot of times when I'm you know just randomly like brushing my teeth or something, that old music will come into my head. <laughs> and I, I think a lot of times I actually still envision the the film with that music for some reason. That's great. I mean I mean that's because like the the music is so like iconic or yeah. whatever. But um yeah, no. I mean what we have is much better now. It's but that that was the thing that sort of pushed you over the edge of being like that was the mood that I wanted and hmm. the music was able to sort of propel it into because like John Carpenter and Ennio Morricone are both composers who do like very genre heavy stuff, but there's always like a huge amount of dimensionality to them. Right. And I think that's something that you wanted out of the film that was like kind of scaring you that you felt like it wasn't there. Um 
But yeah. So yeah. then what else did you do kind of with that first cut once I passed it over that made made me eventually feel like, oh my God, we <laughs> actually have a, like something, a movie. I mean, the main thing that I'm always doing is trying to, um, you know, it's like you said, like you, you were cutting off the storyboards, which is perfect. I think that's, you know, a lot of times um, when we're in the editing room, I'm asking the director, like, what did you originally want here? Or like, what, what were you thinking? And uh, it was just going off of our conversations and, and trying to make that work in each scene, um, make that feeling work in each scene. I think we probably had a conversation along with talking about the music where you were like, oh, this is, this is the stuff that I want. This is how I want it to feel. And I just tried my best to do that. I think one of the big things was that you hit the Kaniji scene, right? I think that's where you probably sent it to me is that it was like mm-hmm. right when it gets to the Kaniji scene and you're just like, I don't know what the fuck to do with this. <laughs> so the and, Kaniji scene just for uh, people. Well, don't uh, spoil it. I won't, it's, it's hard. Basically just like some, <laughs> you're right, I shouldn't spoil it, but some yeah. crazy shit happens. Yeah. Something appears and we had no idea how we were going to make that happen. Yeah. I mean, I was also disheartened, I think, when I, you know, this is, that's like really mean to say it. Like, but, you know, you guys all know what I'm saying. When I when I first saw the footage, I was like, oh, like, how are we going to do this? But sometimes I just have to get in a mode where, um, I don't know, like, I just sort of went with it, went with my gut and started doing crazy shit to it. Um, and I think in a lot of ways that was probably, you know, the music, the, the Kaniji scene, mm. getting through to the end. Um, yeah, I think, like, there's a emotional conclusiveness to the way that you wrote it that um, would probably be kind of hard to miss in any cut where, you know, those specific things are singing through in each scene. So this was, of course, the first of many versions of the project that mm. we would have. And one of the other things that you did, Tom, was sort of come up with our workflow in terms of, you know, naming certain versions and... <laughs> Yeah. What sort of so? What sort of naming system did we use? <laughs> what? How did we know? I can't believe this is a part of a. I mean, how did we know like when version one was version one, version two was version two? Do you know, know what I mean? That's is it, like, just I like mean, instinct or? Yeah, it comes from it comes from uh, many years of doing a bunch of stuff. Like I don't know, like it's different for every project. Everybody has different naming conventions, but something that we did. Uh, at some point, we mentioned before about a lot of times how we were like debating one thing or the other. And something that I started doing that really worked for us was creating a version of a cut and just being like, this is version uh, one, two, and three of this specific thing that we're talking about. And I would send them over to you and you would be like, I like this one. You know what I mean? And it, it's just, it gave you the ability to just sort of go with a gut reaction. Mm-hmm instead of having to intellectualize it so much, um, which is like a really difficult thing to do. It's much better to like uh, be able to just see the options and go with your gut. Um, And in that sense, like in terms of version numbers, oh my God, I can get so nerdy about this stuff. That's why I'm (laughs) asking. Uh, I do, I actually got this from my friend. um, I don't know which one of them, but Graham or Jared, these guys who have this production company called Prom that I work for, they uh, they do this thing where they do 1.0, um, 2.0, 3.0. I'm sure a lot of people do this. Um, but the versions are like sort of big versions of 
uh, version one, two, three, and four. And then within that, there are small notes of that version seven. I think our picture lock was like 7.9 or something like that. Yeah. Um, but point nine, Jesus yeah. Christ. Yeah. There is like, uh, I mean, but that's me like doing tiny, tiny changes and stuff like that. Well, it was, it was incredibly helpful. Yeah. I will say from, yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you're an editor, I think something that happens a lot that you're really scared of is doing something well and then making a change later and then finding out that you fucked up that thing that you did really well and you don't know why. Sometimes it's like sometimes it's a scene that was like five minutes before. I think you're just like, why the fuck isn't this scene working anymore? Like there was that thing that I really, really liked. And so you have to be able to go back to that old cut and be like, oh, like, God, that felt so fucking good. Like, how can I get that again? And it's hard to know because you spent so much time on it and you're such in a deep like fucking thing of like you'll go back there and be like, wow, like that's that's what I was doing. Like I was doing that those tiny little things. I totally forgot about that. And that must have been why it worked. And then you're like, you know, bringing elements of old cuts and and just being able to refer back to old cuts is like you said, is obviously, you know, it's really helpful for you. But for the editor, it's like mostly for me, it's like. Um, being able to refer back to sort of all the stages of our, and like, I don't fucking go back and <laughs> look at those. That would be horrible, yeah, man. Can yeah. you, like, I'll only go back if we, if it's something like that, like I just mentioned, but it, oh my God, can you imagine if like we went back to like version two or three or something? To well, see? like, honestly, we, we both really liked the first 23 minute version of the <laughs> film, I think. Um, yeah. And there yeah. was this like eeriness to it that was kind of right on the money for what we were going for. But mm. like, that's what we thought kind of at yeah. the time. Yeah. Um, and at first I think we were reluctant to make any changes because right. we, we felt that we had a structure that we really liked. Yeah. And so Tom, you kind of touched on this, but like, can you talk a little bit more about how one little change could potentially like disrupt the entire cut and, and the correct yeah. way to make a decision to make that yeah. big change? I think, well, I think with experience, you sort of know when uh, you're supposed to let go of that fear. And I think we definitely were like, oh, my God, we like it so much or whatever. But I think once – I forget which one of us it was that was like uh, we need to definitely go lower in terms of how long it is. Um, I think it was – I think it was honestly both of us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there, are just, there are just a lot of things going on in certain films. Um, and you have certain elements that are doing certain things. For instance, like, I don't know, there's – there's the mom conversations in this film. And, uh, you know, every time we want to cut something out from her, we're like, well, wait, do we want to, you know, does that make, you know, the ending feel different? Does that make the, does it, does it cut away the weight from this? And I think like, this is actually a weakness on my part as an editor, definitely, is that um, I really like the bigness of things. I, I like big worlds. I like big, expansive worlds. And, that actually just doesn't doesn't often um, work for a short film for you to retain yeah. all of that feeling. Yeah. Um, a lot of times it just feels much more satisfying and like sharp to like have a short film that someone can just watch and enjoy. Um, I think yeah. for us, like we we both realized that there was a lot going on in this film, and with the twenty three minute version, we could kind of we had it all. And there was a lot of other sort of atmospheric stuff mm-hmm. that was there. 
Yeah. But what we ended up doing was like focusing on the main story arcs that we yeah. really wanted to get driven into our audience's right. head. And then we kind of ended up cutting a lot of the atmosphere yeah. around it. This is, it's really funny because like, I think in the job description of what an editor does, like an editor is supposed to fucking do that. You know what I mean? Like the director's supposed to come and be like, dude, like this is this beautiful thing. And I'm supposed to be like, no, like this is the story. Let's make this the story. Shut the fuck up about all that other useless stuff. Let's cut it out. But I think the way that I feel about films or like, is that since I know that's my job, I'm actually really scared of doing that because um, it's really easy as an editor to be like, we don't need that and throw away something that's actually really, really beautiful. I guess I'm the type of person who sort of leaves that up to the director a lot more because, you know, as lame as this is or like as as soft as this is, like um, it's really painful for me to hear someone say like, oh, God, I wish we still had that thing. You know what I mean? And I don't think we feel that way at all about this film. No. Um, but it's something that happens a lot, even with a film like that you, you work on this much. A lot of times you find out that people, for whatever reason, in certain moments, a lot of it is social. A lot of times people are like, I don't know why we cut that out. They just convinced me to do it. Uh-huh. And it's just like, I don't know if all editors are this careful, but I'm sure a lot of them really are of like trying to make sure that we're coddling these ideas so that um, we have an understanding of the reason that you come and make a film in the first place is to make a fucking movie. You know what I mean? It's to make something cool um, in the specific way that you want. And I, I don't want to, I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater or whatever. Um, And I think, some people are very sort of severe in the way that they look at films where it's all story to them or it's all plot or it's all performance. And uh, I definitely don't feel that way personally. And there's like when you're talking about, you know, a huge part of this film is environment and vibe and that's how it is. Yeah, I think like another thing that kind of goes along that vein, another thing that I noticed is that like a lot of the moments that we did end up cutting were like, look at this atmosphere. It was, mm-hmm. there were like moments that screamed, look <laughs> yeah. at this, yeah. like, yeah. look at what we're doing with right. this atmosphere when we didn't need to do that because the atmosphere already, already existed. There. Yeah. I think that actually, um, funnily enough, I actually think that that's a habit that comes from me working on some really, um, I guess when you're a beginner editor, you usually work on films that don't have all the right pieces. So I'm used to constructing things out of nothing. So a lot of times I'm really over-constructing things. You know what I mean? Um, But yeah, uh, the reality is that the the real process for an editor is that you build something really, really big and then you cut it down. Um, And I think like it's funny because like, you know, for you to say like, oh, I was like really disappointed with my first cut or like or like we really love that. It's like. Every single time for me, I'm still pissed off when my cut is like twice as long as it's supposed to be. But I know that's like every single time. Like if you if you did a first cut and it was like the right size, you did something wrong, like really wrong or you're fucking crazy. You know what I mean? But it's still like a big disappointment to me when I'm like, oh, my God, how could I make it so long? Um, It's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. 
So I guess uh, we we got to this point where we had this first cut um, mm-hmm. and we were comfortable with it and we were like comfortable to start sending it around for notes. Mm-hmm. Um, so we chose people to share the cut with that mm-hmm. we knew either that had similar sensibilities, mm-hmm. uh, had a large role in production on the project, like the DP, um, yeah, like the DP or the production designer, yeah. even the script supervisor, um, or we simply just reached out to people who we respected their work enough to help lead mm-hmm. us in the right direction. Yeah. Um, so essentially what we did was we cast a pretty wide net with that first round of notes. Yeah. Um, and with that, we were able to see who responded quickly and excitedly and with quality notes. What's that about? I mean, it was just, it, well, this wasn't like an intentional thing. This is just yeah. something that happened. Um, some people we sent it out to, like, you know, they didn't even respond at all. Yeah, um, that happens. So, yeah. So for the next round of notes, we like were able to whittle down who we actually sent it out to. And we actually started to like deepen that relationship with the person that was giving notes to us. So we had like a, a more dedicated pool, I guess. And as the months went on, I think that list got smaller and smaller, according to the direction we took the cut, eventually yeah. to the point where like we really didn't need any more outside help anymore. Um, but I think that overall strategy worked I think well. that's your perspective. That's not my perspective. Okay. I, this is something I pushed a lot. Like, <laughs> You wanted more more notes? Um, I mean, there's there's just different things that you're looking for every time that you are sort of asking for new sets of eyes. And I think I mentioned this to you really early on, too, is like once you've shown someone a cut, um, that's like that's the only first time they'll ever see. The right. Film. Right. You're right. Um, and the different people have different ideas for your film. And that's something that you learn really quickly, too. Um, if you're it's something that I think as as a if anyone, you know, is trying to be a director, you have to be pretty wary of is that people have you know, people bring their own goals and stuff to the table. They're not there to make your movie. I mean, they kind of want to be, but you're the only one who's there to make your movie. I would never recommend that you send notes to like the same dedicated pool all the time. Um, My first recommendation is to um, send it to someone who you really understand the way that they think and the way that they speak. Um, you can sort of someone that you know what they're thinking when they describe like feelings to you of how they feel. Um, and a lot of times, like uh, one of the main things is uh, that people will always sort of offer up solutions when, you know, every time someone offers up a solution, what you should be looking at is not the solution that they're offering up, but the problem that they're addressing or the thing that was problematic to them. Right. Mm-hmm. So what kind of notes uh, do you like, Tom? And I know that <laughs> we... What uh, kind of notes do I like? Yeah, like how do, you, how do you like being given a note? Because I know that this is something that we, like, I needed to learn. <laughs> it no, took it me, does, like, a it few depends. Months. It totally depends. Um, if, it would probably be more productive to be like, what, what, what are some things that, like, are really unproductive or, or like, difficult to deal with with notes? I think it's difficult to deal with some people and I don't like it's hard honestly would be difficult for me to remember like exactly what certain problems were that we may have had. But like it's difficult to field notes when people are coming up with solutions without communicating to you what their problems are. That's something that's really, really difficult. When they're just like do this essentially. Not really. That's not actually a problem. Um, You know, certain people like – certain directors that, you know, you, like, really know what they want. 
um, sometimes you just know that they're just like, I don't like this. And you're like, okay, cool. That's it. Um, we're not going to do that. But like, it's difficult to describe. You could, <laughs> you could never tell one, per- one director how to give notes, uh, comparing them to another director in this particular film. Uh, a lot of us were doing this in our spare time and everything. And this was sort of, that's something that I actually find that not many people know exactly how to deal with, but you just have to be really conscious of the fact that every time you have an idea, like someone's going to do that work for you. You know what I mean? And that's like, there's a cost to that. And you just have to know like how far you're willing to push people like at the outset. Yeah. And I mean, with that in mind, you also have to consider like how much money you've like given that person and how they also like have other jobs and they're not always thinking about your project. It gets scary, honestly, because you get carried away and it's something that's really difficult. And part of the difficulty is that like, you know, I think there were sometimes like a month or so where I was like literally only working on your film. And then I realized I was like fucking broke. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, It's just a conversation. Uh, doing notes or getting notes and stuff like that. And I think like when, if you're getting, if you're getting paid a day rate, if you're getting like, if it's like a job job, you don't give a shit. Like if someone's like, do this for me, you're like, okay, cool. It's your movie. It's, it's whatever. But if you're sort of dedicating yourself in a way where someone came up to you and they were like, you know, I want you, I want you as a collaborator. I want you to work with me on this. And then you find out that they like, are really not open to not saying that that's not that's not how you are at all. Um, but if you find out like, you know, if you're doing that for them and then you, they're just like not really desiring your person or like your like what you bring to the table, then that can be really annoying because then you're you're like stuck finishing that project because I also think like something people don't understand is like once you get on a project like you want to finish it. Yeah. Like you want like you're you're just someone who like anyone who's a pro like doing editing or anything in post or anything in production like they want to do a good job, you know what I mean? So um I think there are times sometimes when like it feels it can sometimes feel like you're just sort of like you're not there or like someone's like not talking to you directly as a person and that can get really frustrating. Um, But I don't know. It's all natural. It's all normal. So I think, you know, like one of the things that you said earlier um, that was really helpful for me was this whole like AB system we came up with where like, you know, I would give you a note. I would like explain why I thought that it should happen. And then you would like show, you wouldn't tell me, why it wouldn't work you would like show me why it wouldn't work yeah it's funny because uh that i don't know how many times that happened because usually it would just work yeah and i would be the one who would be like all right that shit works it looks fucking great well it was apparent <laughs> like when it happened it was apparent i guess yeah. and i think it, it was like it's vice versa too it's like i think maybe that helped both of us no um, definitely that's exactly what i'm saying is that like a lot of times i was like man I'm like, really, you know, I don't know about that, but now we'll try it and then (laughs) I'll do it. And honestly, sometimes like when you're when you're doing stuff in Premiere, sometimes even if you use all these techniques like, I don't know, cocking your head sideways or standing really far away from the screen or like standing up um, to see the cut differently or try to see it with fresh eyes. 
sometimes when you fucking upload it to Vimeo, like that's the time when you're like, I don't know why, honestly, maybe like you would think it's because like you can't edit it or something, but maybe it's just the fact that it's like in your web browser (laughs) that you're just like, oh shit, that's not working. Um, or, or, oh shit, that works. Um, so yeah, like one thing I think that really came in, in handy for me and I was like really lucky to have this as mm-hmm. I was editing my short mm-hmm. was that like I was able to travel to Sundance and to South by mm-hmm. and to sort of like go to shorts programs. Dude, that's, and... that's definitely when we cut it down. Yeah, yeah. no, it absolutely yeah. is. I mean, that's yeah. like, I went to see these short programs and I would like sit there and I would watch them within a block of other shorts. And I started watching them with a like a more critical editor's eye now that it had actually like been in an editing room and like uh, I was looking for moments in other people's work that I would cut out to keep mm-hmm. like my own attention more wrapped like yeah. what is something in this short that wouldn't make me want to like look down at my phone right now you yeah. know what I mean um, and I like would identify moments that felt like they were affecting the momentum of that short yeah. and I'd also keep an eye out for like what worked um, yeah. so I think yeah after South By in particular I came back and I knew like like almost exactly what mm. we needed to cut or the in, idea in like, terms of broad strokes i think we you definitely knew immediately that the film was too long yeah too big yeah um and not digestible in a way that a good short should and, um yeah. yeah i like i also know that like a lot of our listeners out there you're not going to be able to like have the opportunity to just like go to festivals and check out short film programs but you can still go to like vimeo and check out staff picks just like put a playlist of staff picks on there and like Look at those people's shorts and see what you don't like about them. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And don't, you know, the thing that a lot of filmmakers do is that they're like, uh, they go and see stuff and they're like, oh, what's popular? What do people like? And it's really important that John pointed out, like, that's, you know, you should l- look for what you like, you know what I yeah. mean? Or what you don't like. That's honestly, to me, is like, that's what made me a filmmaker was I was like, oh my God, I don't like that. I don't like that. I could do that. Or like, you know, I would change that up. But yeah, when you went, when you came back from that, um, in terms of broad spro- strokes, you, you were like, those were, there were things that we definitely cut out. Things kind of like, uh, kept like increased in momentum at that point And like, we pushed... <laughs> We pushed and it was like a struggle at times, but we did eventually get to a picture lock. Um, Mm -hmm. What it's not, I guess like it's kind of a dumb question to ask, like what made it feel like we were ready for picture lock, but Mm. you know, what, what, what was, what it's, it's fucking up to you, man. Yeah. (laughs) That's, 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 that's what it feels like is I'm just like, you know, waiting for the director to say so. I think, Every time we had really big cuts and we saw how nice it felt, we got more and more excited. Yeah, the main thing for me, honestly, is actually, you know, when we got when we got uh, further on in the process, like late, late in the process, I was actually sending it to new people, which goes back to our thing talking about like uh, who to send notes to. Right. <laughs> I would send it to the same people he would send it to new people, and that yeah. I guess kind of worked out. <laughs> yeah. No, but I mean, I would send it to people who have never seen it. Or, right. Or right, like right. and. I was like, because I, you know, it's hard to even go back to this because, um, but for me, I was just like, the thing that I was really afraid of when we cut it down so much was just that it felt kind of flat or it felt to me like I was worried that it just felt like um, a director just doing a bunch of shit to you, which I fucking hate. You know, like a movie should feel like it should suck you in. That's what movies are for. You should be like, what's going to happen in this weird world? Like, I love being in this fucking strange place. Um 
And that's how people felt. Like, that was the feedback that I got from friends who were just like, oh, shit, it was really weird. I really loved it. Like, because, like you said, like, you know, you're disappointed because you're not used to it because you're like, oh, like, a ton of people didn't respond. It's like, dog, like, <laughs> like your movie probably sucked. Like, it probably <laughs> sucked ass. <laughs> like, our cut probably sucked. Um, it's really hard to sit through a movie that sucks. It's really fucking hard. A lot of times people will send you a cut and it's sometimes like really hard to sit through. And uh, just the fact that, you know, I can send it and people are like, oh, whoa, I loved, you know, even like the fact that everybody's responding Mm -hmm. means that like even when you say that you're going to watch a movie for someone like it should if it's a good movie within the first few seconds, like they should be hooked and, and then it becomes an enjoyment for them. And like the fact that people are coming back and like, thank you for showing it to me. You know what I mean? I'm like, okay, this is working. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, Was there yeah. anything like you'd say that you learned uh, in particular um, in this film, like while editing it? Honestly, like some some of the things that you bring up about like trying to be like careful, I guess, with dealing with notes or like being like uh, knowing how to work with people. I think it's it's interesting because there are tons of directors that I work with who would just literally just be like, I don't like that. You know what I mean? And it's just like, I'm really comfortable with that too. And I think it's because they just happen to have a certain amount of confidence and experience that they can do that. So I I wouldn't be too afraid of if you feel really confidently to just sort of do that. You know what I mean? Yeah, sometimes I mean, you just do that. This podcast is about like making your first short. So mm-hmm. I think that's like some, short. some sound advice is like, um, don't be afraid to be confident in your decisions in the edit room. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, listen to other people, obviously, because they're going to be the ones watching your movie. But at the same time, it's your movie. Um, so... And it's no one else's. At the end of the day, it's like your responsibility to make it the way that you want to make it. But in that vein, so like after Picture Lock, which Mm -hmm. was, I think, you know, like you asked me the other day, uh, if it felt like a relief when to to be done (laughs) with the film. That was a rhetorical question, man. Well, yeah, but it wasn't like I I told you that like I felt more relief after the Picture Lock than I did like actually finishing the thing. Yeah. Um. And I mean, just like, yeah, it was huge. It was just really nice to like have a shape for the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, that was a rhetorical question because no, <laughs> you don't <laughs> no, feel relief. Yeah, you don't feel relief. Uh, you, I, I think actually for the thing that you don't realize that you actually talked about while we were working on it a lot sometimes where you were like, um, that it, it it was an object of focus for you and it allowed you to work on it essentially and think about it and have something that you know is yours. Um, and even for me as an editor, like uh, when you're when you're an editor who works on short films or, you know, that also takes on pa- passion projects, a lot of times you have stuff going on in the background for months or weeks and, you know, things like that. Um, and sometimes it's fucking weird when it's over and you're just like, like you, you wake up and you don't have, you don't have to go to an office or you don't have to. And you're just like, wait a second. I don't have any like weird, like latent responsibilities right. of like doing a little cut or like exporting something. Um, yeah. So then after Picture Lock, uh, we had to expand our team again, mm-hmm. um, you know, 
which meant it wasn't just like me and Tom sitting in a room for yeah. nine months. Right. It, now there were other people, which is yeah. nice. What remained was uh, sound design, VFX, score, and color grading. Yeah. Um, and I found that sort of just as in production, the important thing here was to trust the people's instincts whom you've hired and allow them to sort of apply their own voice to what we had built. Mm-hmm. Um, and we mentioned Brady's score earlier um, yeah. when we were talking about temp music. He actually joined the process like Earlier. early in February, which yeah. was really helpful yep. um, because like once we were done with the picture lock, it was really just a matter of like cementing sort of pieces of the score. Yeah. And that was the first thing to get locked after the picture pretty much. Um, and then after that, we had VFX, <laughs> <laughs> which yeah. was like amazing. amazing. Like we didn't honestly... I don't even know. We we knew we had to like get VFX done to certain shots during the edit. Yeah. But I don't really think we knew like how I we mean, did because we didn't know a VFX artist. We didn't know well, like. Well, that's not. I mean, me and Adam and and the guys who actually do this are like you know have do it a lot. Like we know that it's gonna get done and you'll get someone. Right. Uh, I definitely didn't expect that you would get someone as good as you did. You know what I mean? Like for us, for me, it's just like, oh, we'll find someone. It's fine. And then, you know, you went and found Ari and she was just incredible. Yeah. So So. my producer, Casey Sinsick, who was on the show last week, uh, used to work at the mill, I think. And from the mill, he knew uh, this fantastic artist, Ari Garber, who just like we were extremely lucky to have. Um, She just like sort of had an instinct for the world that I think we were trying to create that was really incredible to see just like someone <laughs> pick up after not having any conversation with them. I think that, you know, VFX, especially in a short film or like a low budget film, you mm-hmm. don't want to be going for like big budget. Like, I mean, you could sure, like you could go for mm-hmm. explosions or you could go for whatever. But like, I think that VFX is really suited for these type of projects in like minor tweaks and adjustments that will like sort of immerse the audience more in the world. Like almost like you're looking at a cleanup act. Yeah. I will say that, um, being in post and sort of, uh, being really scared of VFX for a long time and sort of delving into it a little bit. Um, especially a lot of DIY sort of, uh, filmmakers out there. You'll, you probably already know that there's like kids out there who who are using after effects and shit who probably do like a more amazing stuff than, than you think. And I think like a lot of times, um, certain things that you want to do in VFX that you want to try out, like a lot of times you should just go for it. And a lot of times it, it's just a lot more about like the amount of time that it takes to do something really well. You know, if you have a pro like Ari, she could do it in a second and she does it amazingly. But, um, if you really care about your film and you need something to be fixed in VFX, like, Try it out. There's a lot of tutorials out there, and it's it's an amazing way to learn about how you know those visuals work and stuff like that. Um, yeah, it's 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 something that you shouldn't rely on as a crutch for yeah. sure. No, no, definitely not. But like, if you want to try something out, fucking go for it. Sometimes, man. And like speaking of trying something out, I think that the hardest part of this post picture lock process for me was easily the color grade. Um, which Tom, what? you also did. What? Um, Wait, what, what were you saying about it? It was the toughest thing it, for me. Yeah, it was Why? so here. So it, it was hard because like throughout the entire editing process, I could mm-hmm. always sort of turn to my storytelling instincts to inform mm-hmm. a change that we made or like a cut or, mm-hmm. um, you know, a shift in whatever music. Um, but like, I just, I, I just couldn't 
yeah. mentally wrap my head around color yeah. in a way that like would benefit the story. Yeah. Um, this was another situation where, you know, all beginner like directors will always be like, I don't care about it. Uh, I have no idea. But like you'll you'll send the first ones. They'll be like, no. <laughs> you know what I mean? And you just have to see options, but um, it's great because the shooter, Adam, is, you know, me and Adam have been friends for a long time and uh, actually got into it because of him because he's, like, you know, was looking for... And we have similar sensibilities a lot of times. Uh, but, you know, DPs do have a lot of idea. Like, they, they have a pretty deep understanding of what they want out of the color grade. And, um, yeah, we do reflect it with you, John, and, and we're, like... And you see what it does for the story. I think that's sort of the entire post process. And also, obviously, partly the production process as well is like doing things and then being like, wait, what does that do to the story? And you do that so many times that you learn more and more and more like um, what like what are the techniques that I can use to make stories feel different ways? And uh, the possibilities are, are really limitless when you start to find out like coloring, like you said, um, it's it's a surprise when you're just like shit. Like I yeah. never thought that the film could feel like that. It's um, scary. Like it, it's it's scary. It scared me. <laughs> like when you when you would send me, yeah. Because yeah, the first ones were like really dark. Yeah, <laughs> they're yeah. darkish. And shit. it just changed the entire it made, tone made, of the movie. It made it feel depressing <laughs> as fuck. It was so depressing. Because <laughs> yeah. So yeah, um, I guess that like the advice. I think that you asked me what I learned, and I think uh, one thing that I really did learn was to just trust the process, you know, and not mm-hmm. to like get ahead of it. Like mm-hmm. don't really stress yourself out about like the way something's going to turn out just like roll with it as it is like happening do you know what i mean right um Um, it is it is scary obviously because uh you know you might collaborate with someone that you find out like isn't doesn't have the personality or whatever to sort of do like to make your film exactly the way you want it to but you know John was fucking stuck with me one way or the other. You know what I mean? Yeah. I said at the beginning of the show, you were stuck with me whether you liked it or not. So we were like stuck with each other. (laughs) I mean, like, um, if you are committed to working with someone, then you have to trust him. That's just the way it is. That's that's the way something you learn really quickly in film school. Well, this is no film school, but I went to film school. Well, this is good advice. Spoiler alert. No, is, uh, yeah, is, um... If you're if you're committed to working with someone, then you just literally have to be committed to it. Like you have to respect them enough to be like, I want you here. And like that, you know, you like I also think that some somewhere where directors have sort of uh, difficulties working sometimes is not realizing that like you can just stop. You can just not work with someone. You know what I mean? Mm. Instead of being really scared that like, oh, no, my film's not going to get made in a certain way. Like, okay, so then our last piece of the puzzle was uh, the sound design. Mm -hmm. And I actually found my sound designer when I was looking for location sound person. um, And he told me he liked my script, but he couldn't come down to Maryland because of conflict. Um, because he's not a location sound guy. He's not a location sound guy. That's his conflict. <laughs> but he he also was like doing something else. Yeah. Um, but he told me that I should reach out to him when uh, we were done. So I did, and he was down. Yeah. And um, um, the sound. Yeah. Is he coming on here? No. Pat? No. Why not? This is it. This is the last episode. Jesus. Uh, it's a short and sweet thing. <laughs> so the sound design process was, I think, one of my favorite parts of the whole thing. Um, 
Mm-hmm. Tom uh, did some incredible work with like temp sound design mm-hmm. um, in his like editing of the whole throughout the whole process. Yeah. Um, so our sound designer Pat Burgess was like given a pretty nice place to start off with. Yeah. But but having Pat like be able to work off of that and build off of your temp mm-hmm. sound was like really helpful I thought yeah, that doesn't happen all the time no I don't think it does um, a lot of times you'll do sound design as an editor and then they'll throw it out the window and it sucks yeah um, he ended up keeping a lot of yeah the sound design I was really you... it was just it was just an amazing experience to um, come to the session and see how much like and you know me and Pat um, we've collaborated in the past uh, you know remotely a lot but um, he, he's obviously I think the reason that you're sort of saying that this was such an amazing experience is because Pat was definitely on on the ball, and that yeah. was that was the lucky thing that I think you got with almost everybody. Oh, absolutely. Sort of, sort of in the project was uh, you sort of by whatever chances met these people who um, were just really into it. Like Pat is a King Giz fan. That's ridiculous. <laughs> um, I'm wearing a King Gizzard yeah. shirt. Yeah, but uh, yeah, to go into the session and see how Pat had sort of. The thing is, like, if you went into a sound design and you saw that they just literally use your sounds, that would be, like, one thing. You'd be like, oh, you know, it'd be a nice ego boost. But to see how he sort of interpreted all of that um, was really amazing. And and to see it sort of enhanced um, and brought to a different level was just really, really comforting. Um, And I think the last thing that I want to touch on is his sound design in the way that your, like, sound design informed his work his ultimate sound design sort of ended up informing the picture a little bit. Oh, definitely. So we, like, did break picture lock. um, Oh, yeah. uh, Twice? Maybe once? Once. Um, You wanted that second one, not giving it to you. No, not not the second (laughs) one, just once. Uh, And, um, you know, like, that seems like a really hard thing to ask Mm -hmm. um, when you're so close to the end and you've already asked so much of your team. But, like... If it's something that, again, like if it's something that you really think could end up benefiting the film, mm-hmm. you need to you need to ask. Like yeah, you, you need to lead. Yeah, you, you should ask. I think like it's funny because this is stuff we shouldn't even say on the air, bro. But uh, picture lock. No, like it's a it's a little bit of a secret that people break picture lock all the time. Um, but there there's a there's a real reason why. Obviously, and there's an like it's pretty obvious why. You know, you would want people to feel like you can't break picture lock. There are technical problems with breaking picture lock. And there are. There are definitely technical things with that. But um, if you happen to be working with someone like, uh, you know, Pat or someone who really cares about your... I'm saying, like, uh, a lot of sound people would would have said, like, no, I can't do that. I don't have the time. But, you know, that's the relationship that we had with Pat to be able to ask him. He'd be like, you know, bro, like, can we you know, is this a big problem for you? And not just be like, not just be like, oh, can we do this? But like, be literally be like, is is that something that would be difficult for you? Is that something that would, you know, like be something that you would be okay with doing? You know what I mean? Um, Because a lot of times, like, you never know um, how an ask is like a big pain in the ass for someone or if it's really fucking easy. You know what I mean? And that's the reason that you should ask is that you never know. You don't know if it's easy or if it's really difficult, um, but sometimes they'll do it for you and you'll really benefit from it. Yeah. And so, I mean, that pretty much 
wraps up our entire post-production process. We, mm-hmm. you know, we mixed and we mastered. It was really nice to, yeah. like, ha- as Tom said, he sat in uh, in the final mastering. And yeah. I think it just goes to show what what a tight production, post-production team, or at least a post-production team that all yeah. care about a project can really uh, accomplish. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we're we're happy with it. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, we're happy with the cut, which is yeah. which is great, and it's been submitted to a few festivals. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not going to show it <laughs> to, to you guys uh, for a while, probably. Oh my god! But um, that's so awful. I know. That's I wish awful. I could, but it's just you know, it's. Uh, I guess it's just another I, step in the way things are done. Oh god! I need to. I should cut a trailer. Maybe it's, it's like. Oh my god! Yeah, I should do it. Maybe we'll cut a trailer. Yeah, I should cut a trailer. <laughs> I have so much other. <laughs> this is it. This is a real glimpse into. <laughs> yeah, this is the this is the glimpse into our, our relationship. Yeah. Um, it's like I want to do these things, <laughs> but I also have to like not remember not to like destroy my own life. Yeah. Or whatever. Yeah. Um. Yep. So, anyways, that's I guess that's like pretty much a wrap on this show. Uh, it's been uh fun to like relive this stuff and i hope that it was helpful um for you guys to hear about my experiences and now you can sort of like take them and uh and use them when it when it comes time to make your own first short um and i think like most of all i just say you have to fucking do it you know like you gotta stop making excuses and you just gotta make something and whether it's you know like a production that takes a lot of work like mine or just a production that takes like three days with a few friends to shoot mm-hmm. um just do it and it'll get easier each time <laughs> at least that's what i hope yeah um yeah i think anybody would give that advice any pro yeah anybody would just say just do it man and uh yeah so uh, thanks again for listening uh i'm john fusco uh you can Follow me at Jim underscore John underscore Jim on Twitter. Uh, you can stay tuned every week for the No Film School podcast. Uh, Mondays we got interviews. Thursdays are Indie Film Weekly. If you like the show, uh, rate it on iTunes. Subscribe. Uh, we might be back for another show or another segment of, of this series uh, further down the line. Um, if you guys have any questions, maybe I'll answer some of them. But uh, yeah, for now, that's it. Thanks again for listening, uh, and I'll see you on Thursday.